Welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast, where we teach and preach the truth of the Catholic faith without compromise and without apology. We want to give you high energy and non-boring Catholicism, where anyone at any time can come to know exactly what the Catholic Church teaches and why. We do apologetics, spirituality, other religions, our culture, and more. Most of all, we want to inspire you, inform you, and help you to know, love, and live your Catholic faith with purpose and passion. We are Catholic Truth. I chose this man because he's typical of countless Joe Schmo pastors and teachers across the country that haven't done any research about Catholicism. And it's sad. It's uninspiring because they're teaching other people and they have whole congregations who are listening to them and are being led astray because they trust that these pastors and these teachers know what they're talking about and that they're being instructed in the truth. But Joe Schmo pastor and Joe Schmo teacher hasn't done any research and isn't teaching them the truth and in many ways is teaching them countless errors and countless half-truths. And so it's really heartbreaking that so many people are led astray just because they haven't done research. But that's why Catholic Truth exists, to help people from anywhere, at any time, to know exactly what the Catholic Church teaches and why, and not what other people say the Catholic Church teaches. Because the Roman Catholic Church is wrong because of the doctrine of Christ being offered over and over in the Mass. When the priest went hoc est corpus meum and lifted the host up and down, Roman Catholic dogma, that's their doctrine, that's written in all of their books, say that the priest is crucifying Christ again for the people. So Hebrews 8 and 10 says Jesus was offered once for all. The Roman Catholic Church offers Jesus Christ every time there's a Mass, on every altar, in every church, around the world, all day long. You know, it's so interesting. I don't know where Protestants get this, except for other Protestant sources. Clearly, they haven't read any Catholic sources, because this man says that everywhere, all around the world, in every country, in every Mass, the Catholic Church sacrifices and re-sacrifices, kills Jesus over and over and over and over again, all the time. So Jesus is re-sacrificed, and he goes on to quote Hebrews chapter 9, where it says that Jesus was sacrificed once and for all. And if this man had done even the most minute research, that he would have known that the Catholic Church also quotes Hebrews chapter 9 in reference to our teaching on the Eucharist and the Mass. So we are aware right at the outset that Jesus only died once and for all. Of course he only died once and for all. He's God. He can't die again. He can't be killed again. His sacrifice only happens once. And we already know that. It's the Protestants who don't know that we already know that. And in fact, I think last time I brought this up in another video, we quoted the Catholic Catechism. So in this video, just so you don't have to take my word for it, we're going to quote the Council of Trent, the authoritative Catholic Council, Worldwide Ecumenical Council of Trent, which is one of the most authoritative texts in the Catholic Church. And I'm going to put it up on the screen. We're not going to read the whole thing, but if you would like to read it in your own time, you can. But I'm going to pull out a few parts from this long quote that show that the Catholic Church teaches that Jesus is not sacrificed over and over again, but the once and for all sacrifice is represented to us in a special way through the Eucharist. Jesus doesn't die again, but his death and resurrection and the merits and the graces and the fruits of it are presented to us in the Mass through the Eucharist. 
So one thing you're going to notice in this quote is that it is a truly propitiatory sacrifice. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross truly saves. That's what Trent is saying. But it comes down to us through the Mass, through Christ as the High Priest, who makes known to us His graces, His merits, and His fruits. And the the manner of this sacrifice of the Eucharist, which is not a re-sacrificing of Christ, it's a representation of the one sacrifice, it's in an unbloody manner and in a different way. You'll notice that the quote says that this is a totally different manner of sacrifice, meaning it's not the bloody manner, it's in an unbloody manner, meaning Christ doesn't die again. Christ can't die again. Christ doesn't shed his blood again. That was done once and for all, so this is a totally, completely different manner of sacrifice being talked about. He's not being re-sacrificed. It even goes on to say that the fruits of the oblation of the one bloody sacrifice are received plentifully in this unbloody sacrifice. So we receive the fruits of what Christ did for us on the cross through the Eucharist, which is why it goes on to say that whereby it says that the bloody sacrifice wants to be accomplished on the cross might be represented to us. And that's what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says as well. It's represented to us. And that's what all the documents of the Catholic Church say. Not one says that he is sacrificed again, that he dies again, that he sheds his blood again. No, that was done once and for all, but we receive the fruits and the merits of it. And it is represented to us in a special way in all the masses throughout the world. And that is why Revelation 5, 6 says that Christ, who died and is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, rose from the dead, is seen in heaven as a lamb looking like he had been slain. So Jesus in heaven still looks like he's been slain. Why? Because his sacrifice was done once, but it continues to be given and made available for all people. And one special way that that comes about is through the Eucharist and the Mass. Because the inordinate place of Mary, she's called the Queen of Heaven. She's not the Queen of Heaven. Do you know what Mary said in her testimony in Luke? She said, God, my Savior. She said, I need a Savior, and God is my Savior. She was a sinner that needed forgiveness. She knew it. God knows it. But a lot of people in Romanism don't know it. And they think that Mary was immaculately conceived. In this section, he says that Mary is not the queen of heaven and that we worship her as the queen of heaven instead of Christ, which, of course, is not even remotely true. And he has not the slightest clue of what that even means for Catholics. And we're going to be having Scott Hahn on this channel in a couple of months talking about that exact topic. But he goes on to say that Mary was not immaculately conceived, that she needed a savior, that she uh, sinned herself, and that she could not have been immaculately conceived. But in fact, she was. And we can make a whole video on that. Oh, wait. We did. And instead of going into a long, drawn-out explanation of that, just go check out our video on the Immaculate Conception, which someone we are thankful for said that it was the best presentation on the Immaculate Conception that they've seen yet on YouTube. So we're very thankful for that, that it helps people to understand what we believe about the Immaculate Conception. And so you can check that out, and we will link it here if we remember. Uh, because they elevate tradition over scripture. You can read that. Fourthly, their veneration, worship of images. They ascribe to images, to saints, to, to uh, all of the, the, what I call the holy hardware that they have in those churches, they ascribe to them the attributes of God, the omniscience, the omnipresence, and the, the power of God to come to the aid 
and omnipotently help them. In this section, he says we venerate tradition over scripture and we worship and venerate pictures of Mary and sacred relics and things like that. And of course, all of that's false. But notice what he says. Tradition is over scripture in the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church venerates tradition more than the Catholic Church. But notice that he does not, like 99% of Protestant pastors and teachers, he does not quote anything. He does not give any sources. He does not give any facts. We're just supposed to listen to his opinion on the matter. Seriously, it's your opinion and you're wrong. And just so you don't have to take my opinion, I'm going to quote to you what the Catholic Catechism of the Catholic Church says so you can see what the Church itself says and not what just I'm saying or he's saying. Sacred tradition and sacred scripture then are boundly close together and communicate one with the other. Both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. So clearly the Catholic Church teaches that tradition and uh, scripture are equal. They're just different. But of course, the Catholic Church teaches that the Bible is the Word of God. It must be respected to the highest. But we also have tradition, too, because it helps us to understand the Bible and understand how to interpret the Bible. But nowhere in any Catholic document does it ever say that we represent or lift up or venerate tradition over Scripture. That's just not accurate. And he has no proof for that. And he's teaching these people something that's not true. Then he goes on to say that we venerate and worship, as if those two words are the same, they're not. We venerate and worship uh, pictures of Mary and statues and icons and things like that. But the reality is, we don't worship these things. We don't worship pictures. We don't worship uh, icons or statues or anything else. We don't worship anything like that. And in fact, the Catholic Church condemns the worship of these things. And you can even see that in the Council of Trent as well. He says, we ascribe to them the powers that belong to God alone, omnipotence, omniscience, that they're everywhere, that they can do anything, that they are all powerful. But of course, we don't believe that. This is nonsense. We don't believe that the saints are all powerful. We don't believe that the saints are everywhere or even omniscient or even infinite or anything like that. In fact, they don't need to be because this whole world is finite. So it's not an omniscient world or universe to begin with, which means it's not everywhere and forever. It's finite. So they don't need to be omniscient, first of all. Second of all, they have power in them because of God's power working in them. The same thing we do. I mean, by this man's same logic, in Revelation chapter 12, Michael the archangel who kicked the devil out of heaven must be God because he had the power of God to kick out the devil and his angels. I mean, is Michael God? I mean, clearly by this man's logic, he is. Because this man doesn't make the distinction that Michael doesn't have his own power, that it's God's power working in him. But apparently, angels and saints can't have God's power, or they're just like God, or that they're omnipotent, or they're all-powerful. The fact that Michael had power, it's not of his own. It's God who gave him that power. And if the angels and saints in Mary or anyone else has power or has an ability to do something, it's God's power working in and through them. It's not of themselves, and we recognize that. Saints have zero power. None. 
nothing without God. In fact, John 15 says, without me, Jesus, you can do nothing. And that's even true in heaven. Without the grace of God, without God working in and through us, we can do nothing. We are nothing. We have nothing because God is all in all things. But the saints can help us. They can answer our prayers because of God's power working in and through them and because of his grace that has perfected them and allows them to do this. Same thing with us working miracles or prophesying or doing one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not our power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And it's the same thing with the angels and saints in heaven. It's God's power working through them. They're not omniscient. They're not omnipotent. They have no power. It's God who gives it to them. Roman Catholicism, if I was going to display it for you, it would be an IV bag. Have you ever been in the hospital and seen a person that has an IV in their arm and they have a little uh, four-wheel stand with an IV bag on it and they're walking down the hallway connected to the bag getting their drip but they're trying to get exercise. So they have to have the IV into their arm to, to walk. That's what the sacraments are. Every drip, every time you go to the Catholic Church, every time that you go to confession, every time that you go and do your penance assignment, every time you go and get the sacraments, you're getting another drip. This is the only part of the video that's sort of kind of true with the drip analogy, except we would not say it's like a drip. I mean, God infuses us with his grace. He fills us with his divine life through the sacraments. That is true. We agree with that. But it's not a drip, 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 drip. And I mean, sure, sometimes it can be. Grace can sometimes be a slow process. Sometimes we're stubborn and God takes a long time to work in our lives. I mean, look at the apostles. God was dripping in their lives. <laughs> Even after they came to Christ, he was dripping in their lives, and they still doubted. They still didn't have faith. They still messed up. They still weren't perfect. The fact is, Christ continued to work in their life even until the end. Or sometimes, like the woman at the well or the Canaanite woman in John chapter 4, they had way greater faith than the apostles. They had amazing faith. Or even the centurion in Matthew chapter 8 had great faith. Meanwhile, the apostles who saw Jesus every day received grace from him, received life from him, received knowledge from him, were still doubting. We're still having doubts. We're still struggling to get this. It's, it's an amazing mystery how that happens. Sometimes people who are the closest to Jesus have the hardest time being transformed by him. But uh, the reality is we need transformation and sanctification throughout our whole entire lives. And that's what Christ does through the Eucharist, through confession, through the sacraments. In confession, it's not a drip. It literally obliterates sin, obliterates darkness, destroys that evil in our life and forgives us of all our sins, renews us, reconciles us back to God. And when we receive the Eucharist, we receive Jesus himself in us. So the sacraments are not just drip they're amazing. They're like Jesus coming into us and filling us and freeing us. Are the sacraments the only way we can receive Christ? Of course not, but they're the main way that Christ established for us to receive his grace. But of course, the church teaches that we can do this through prayer, through the rosary, through reading scripture, and through other avenues as well. Sixthly, the Roman Catholic Church's teaching about purgatory is absolute falsehood. And finally, most of Roman Catholicism's rites are tied to ancient paganism. And of course, he just flies through these last two ones. He says, purgatory, it's not biblical. Goes on to the next one, and he says, the Catholic Church is full of paganism and pagan claims. And then, that's it. <laughs> End of story, period, exclamation point. We're just supposed to take his word for it. Purgatory is not biblical. Oh, okay. 
Catholicism is pagan. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to just believe that with no evidence, no facts. I mean, this is the type of intellectualism we're talking about today. These are the kind of pastors we have to endure today. These are the kind of teachers who have the ability to teach someone else. I mean, why should somebody who doesn't have any intellectual knowledge teach anyone else? I mean, at least if you're going to say something about other people, give facts for it uh, or back it up in some way. And, you know, that's why we try to do that here with these videos. We try to give some facts in some way. And in fact, we have a whole purgatory video if you're interested uh, on what purgatory is, because most people don't even understand what purgatory is. They think it's a second chance. They think, oh, well, if you don't do good enough or if you don't do enough good works, you can finish that in purgatory, which of course is not true entirely. And paganism. Okay, I'd love to refute the paganism claims. What are they? Oh, yeah, that's right. He didn't give any. He did not give any claim, so how are we supposed to refute them? And these people are just supposed to... He could have taken just a few seconds more just to finish uh, what he was saying. Is it the obelisk in the center of the Vatican? Some people say, oh, see, that's paganism because that was ancient pagan sign and pagans worshipped the Babylonian sun god, and so that's a sign of it. So clearly the Catholic Church does that too. Yeah. Just because there's an obelisk doesn't mean that the Catholic Church worships the sun god. Literally, you're stretching things. You're desperate for the Catholic Church to be wrong. And I feel really, really, really bad for you that you're grasping at anything without doing any actual research on any of this. The reality is the obelisk in the middle of the Vatican is there as a sign of victory of Jesus Christ, because that's exactly where the Roman circus used to be, and Christians were slaughtered by the truckload. They tried to wipe Christianity off the face of the map because they refused to worship the pagans' false gods, and even the, the emperor himself as a false god. We will not worship false gods. And so we were slaughtered there in the early days of Christianity. And you know what? God started working miracles, and God worked in and through the Christians powerfully and through the Holy Spirit. And they saw these things and the whole Roman Empire was converted to Christianity. And that is the last sign and symbol of an ancient paganism that tried to destroy Christianity, but got destroyed itself. And so that is a sign that Christ is victorious. That if you try to destroy Christ, or if you try to destroy Christianity, you are going to fail. And that is a sign that it used to be paganism and has been taken over by Christianity and by the Catholic Church who worships Jesus Christ, the only true God, the only true Son of God. And paganism, well, it can't overcome Christ. And so anyone who says that, oh, the obelisk is there because Catholics worship the Son God, I would love to see your proof. Could you please quote me a document from the Catholic Church? Could you please quote me a document from the Catechism or from some papal writing saying, oh, Catholics, we're going to worship the sun god, and we expect you to come here at noon every day, and we expect you to kneel down before this obelisk, and such and such and such nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. And I keep getting passionate <laughs> because it's nonsense, and people are being led astray by nonsense, not even good intellectual arguments. And so if anyone has any uh, evidence that the Catholic Church or the Pope or a council says that we must worship the sun god, please, I am all ears. But until then, this is what the obelisk represents. And we even have statues of Martin Luther and Calvin and other people at the Vatican museums because the Catholic Church has kept a lot of different aspects and relics of history. Not that we actually say Luther's right, of course, or, or Calvin or any of these other things. They're just aspects of history that we keep that have come and gone through history while the Catholic Church 
is still here and has been here for 2,000 years. Thank you so much for watching this video today. If this has helped you, please share it with others. Please get the truth out there. Please, please, please pray for this poor pastor, teacher. I mean, he has no idea what he's talking about. And I would debate him any day of the week, but the reality is uh, debates are not about winning and losing, or I would debate him because I know everything and he knows nothing. No, debates are for finding truth and helping people to find truth and helping other people to see that many things that are what's presented against the Catholic Church isn't actually true, and it's false, and falsehood is not from God. This man is teaching falsehood, and therefore what he's teaching is not from God. And I, that's why he couldn't back it up with any sources or anything else, because he did not get any of this from Catholic teaching, but from anti-Catholic teaching and non-Catholic teaching. <laughs>